The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. Oh, really, I'm, I'm quite excited to, to be here. Um, I enjoy preaching, and so whenever I get an opportunity to do it, I usually say yes. And uh, on Saturday, a week ago Saturday, when Dan asked me, I was, I think I've preached on this before. Let me check my notes, and yeah, and so I said yes. Now, little did I know is that the next day on Sunday, Dan was going to preach a fiery sermon. You remember, you know, our mission, our story, you know, the Clay Matthews uh, version, I think. I'd never heard so many amens from our church. And, and then if you know the story of Acts, you know that coming up is Pentecost, you know, the, the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which I, I'm sure is another exciting sermon. And then we just had this presentation. I'm sure that expectations are, are quite high. <clears throat> the passage I get to preach on is sandwiched between those great things of Christ's ascension and Pentecost, where the church simply, well, get this, waits, <laughs> prays, and, and here it is, a congregational business meeting. No, no amens. Okay, amen, yeah, thank you, thank you. A congregational business meeting. So, um, but as, as Dan said, in, in God's providence, these things, uh, it's, a, it's amazing how it works out. In fact, I'm, I'm waiting, it's Saturday, yesterday, and we're still figuring out, okay, when are we gonna do the announcement? Is it gonna be before the sermon, after the sermon? And, and I'm like going, I think I'm gonna be using this as an illustration, so it better be before, and it was, it was, it was an odd thing. Plus, I'm also aware of time, and I know that I tend to go long. I'm going to try to, uh, to, to keep, it, uh, keep it down here. So but without further ado, we're going to read the scripture from Acts chapter 1, uh, verses 12 through 26. Let's pray first. Father, all kidding aside, we know that your word is, uh, is relevant to us. Your word is is great. And Father, these things are important. And I pray, Lord, we would hear your voice in this. And I pray, Lord, that uh, even as our church has, in one sense, been a time of waiting, I, I pray, too, that uh, we can learn from this. We ask God, then, for a, a, a spirit that's receptive to uh, what you have to say to us today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 1, starting verse 12. All rise. Thank you. I forgot. Yeah, let's stand for the reading of the word. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew. Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120, and said, 
Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, a keldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in his ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So here's what I'd like to do this morning. What I'd like to do is talk briefly about the big picture. Like, what is, why is this important? Um, if you were to read the rest of the entire Bible, Matthias isn't mentioned again. So, so why, did, why did the Holy Spirit prompt Luke to record this? Why was it such a big deal? So I want to talk about the big picture, and then I want to break it down. What This church in waiting between the Ascension and Pentecost, what, what were they doing and how could that apply to us? Not only as a church, but I think also um, as individuals. So the big picture. There's two things. One is kind of, a, kind of odd. In the ancient world, people were very concerned with numbers. Uh, numerology was, was very important. Uh, it, was, it, it was important to the, to the Jews as well as to pagans. And uh, so simply, one of the issues was the number 11 mean, means nothing. As Dan preached last week, the, 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 the apostles were committed, sent out. Apostle means one who is sent. They were sent out, and they're supposed to, to uh, preach the gospel to the whole world. And, and from the four corners of the world, they're going to bring in the full number of the elect. This, this idea of completeness and, coincidentally, the number for complete list is 12. Uh, there were 12 tribes in Israel. There were 12 disciples that Jesus picked. Now there's 11, and it was just very important that there be a 12th. If you were in the ancient world and uh, you found out there was, there was only 11 apostles, it would seem weird. To us, yeah, not so much. But even more importantly, there was, a, there was even a more practical uh, application to this, and, and that is this. It was necessary to have the 12 to show the continuity between the Old Covenant and its community with the new and what Jesus was doing. He was starting something new. Now, let, let me explain that. 
the key here is, is that it numbers, it mentions there's 120 people. Why, why is that important for us to know? About 120 people in that upper room. Well, when Moses was commanded by God that uh, throughout all the towns and villages of Israel, there were supposed to be set up judges, right? People who were to uh, rule in, these, in, in various locations, um, all the towns and villages. Uh, the question was, how do we have that commandment in the Bible? How is that fulfilled out practically? Okay, we, we probably have an understanding of this in, in our legal system today. You know, uh, legislators make laws. Now, how those laws are carried out, you know, bureaucrats get together and they kind of figure out how to execute those laws, correct? But like when a senator, I forgot which one it is, I'm pretty sure she was from California, uh, uh, when talking about Obamacare and the, all the law, and, and she says, well, we have to pass the law before we can find out what's in it. Do you, do you remember that? Am I, am I the only one who remembers that? P part of what she's saying is, yeah, probably hardly any of them even read the thing. But part of it is, is that a lot of how it's going to be executed isn't written yet because bureaucrats do that, not the legislature, right? Which is horrible and wrong. We should put an end to that, but that's a whole side note. Okay. The... It's the same with God's law. God had specified to Moses that they were supposed to divide things out and these judges are supposed to, to be in, 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 uh, in these towns and cities. Well, what constitutes a town? Well, the commentators on the law in Jesus' day had designated that uh, in order to have a Sanhedrin or a court in a community, which is required by the law of Moses, there had to have, here it is, 120 people. 120 people. Now, what, what was a court? What, what was the official designation of a court? Well, the minimal amount to have a synagogue was 10 men. You had to have 10 men. The problem is, if you just had 10 men, you couldn't, you, you couldn't uh, come to a, a judgment. You needed, you needed at least 11 so that there would be a, a majority. However, the laws didn't require a simple majority. They needed more than a simple majority. Therefore, you needed, guess what? Twelve. Twelve men. And so here what you have is Peter gathering together the people of God, which Luke points out it's 120. It's a new community. And they have 12 who are apostles. Twelve who are apostles. Now, these judges that God, has, that God appoints, you know, according to the law, the law says that you're to listen to them. And you're supposed to obey their judgment. And, and whatever they say, that, that, that it goes. It was very important for the church of Jesus Christ to establish this. All the places that they would go throughout Israel, remember first, as Dan, Dan talked about in first, uh, the first part of Acts, all of Jerusalem and Judea and all of Samaria. If they were to go and speak with authority about the laws of God, particularly in what Jesus has preached and taught, they needed to see the authority that they have as a community with a Sanhedrin. And this fulfills this. They, are, they have 12, and there's about 120 of them there. And it works out beautifully. Both symbolically, as you can see through the symbols from the very beginning, God had planned this out. And from the practicality, it's, it's set. So, this is why 
it's recorded in the book of Acts. And why for us, we kind of go, oh, that's, that's kind of interesting. But if you were a Jew living back then, you would understand. You go, oh, naturally. They have to have 12. Jesus appointed 12. They needed 12. And as we see later, according to Scripture, his office needed to, be, to take place. So that's the big picture. That's the big picture. How, how, does, this, how does this carry out then in the, in the church, this waiting church? They're told to wait. The power is going to come on high, but it hasn't happened yet. They need to wait in Jerusalem for this event to happen. So what do they do? What do they do? First thing to note, the first thing to note is that a waiting church is a praying church. A waiting church is a praying church. And you'll see from Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, this is what they did. It says that they devoted themselves to prayer. Actually, let me start even further in 14. All of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In other words, it wasn't just the 11 apostles and eventually Matthias, or Matthias. It was, it was those plus the women, plus Mary, plus his brothers. And they devote themselves to prayer. So first of all, what does it mean that they come together in one accord? Well, this is very similar to what Dan said uh, just a little bit ago. When, when, when you guys are, are praying, one of the things we ought to pray for is unity. Now, let me make a, it's not a, correction sounds horrible, but we can have a tendency when we hear this idea of, of being in unity that what we're really wanting is, is to you guys, for everyone to fall in line. Like this is the expected thing, and for unity to happen, we all need to get in line, right? And then the, the church whip, we don't have a church whip, no, I won't. You know, they, they get the party in line, and, you know, now we show unity. Yeah, that, that's not the idea. The idea is this, is that being in one accord means that they had the same mindset or purpose in devoting themselves to prayer. The same mindset or purpose in devoting themselves to prayer. And so what they're doing is they, they want to come, and they want to come before the Lord in prayer so that they might know his will. Does that make sense? So, so here's, my, here's, here's a, a plea then, and you'll hear me again say this later on. As we come together to pray, especially in regards to our future, as we wait to see what God is going to do in and through us and in this congregation, my, my, our plea would be um, not, not to get in line with some sort of thing that Pastor Dan said or one of the elders said or what I said. W what we want is this. this the unity is the single-minded purpose of coming before the Lord and seeking what the Lord wants. What the Lord wants. Because here's, here's the truth. There are many times in my life when I thought I knew what the Lord wanted. And I was wrong. And, and I was wrong. The, I'm going to say this, ready? The beauty about being Presbyterian, 
I love it. I'm, see, I'm not a, I wasn't born and raised in the Presbyterian church. I, I kind of, they adopted me. I, I love it. And, and, and the, the thing about it is, is that in, in this Presbyterian system, we all kind of understand because we're sinners, we could be wrong. Right? We can be wrong. I, I can be, <laughs> I, I can have my, the best intentions in mind and, and think, man, this is, this is it. This is, this is the thing. And in reality, it's my own desires that are getting in the way. And, and what we need is we need correction. I need, personally, to be able to have this, this sense of purpose to simply pray and to seek God's will. Right? But we together need to do the same thing because here's the deal. Even though the elders are unanimous in this idea of Heartland, and, and I'll talk a little bit about that later, we would still say, I can say this, right? We might be wrong. How would I know it? How would we know that we're wrong? Well, because we have you guys. We trust, and you ought to trust, that the Holy Spirit is working in our midst, because he is. The Spirit of God is working in our midst. And if we decide, if we decide that what we want to do is come, this unity, again, is not following the elder's idea versus this idea. The unity is, we're going to get together and we're going to come before the Lord and we're going to pray and seek His will. And I guarantee you, if you as a congregation said, we think this is a horrible idea, we've all prayed, and with one voice we say, you guys are wrong, um, then um, we would go, we, we, we probably blew it here, right? We, we would need to... We're not going to say, no, you're wrong. We're holier than you. It, it's not true. It's the same spirit working in you that's working in us. And, and so the idea is a unity of, of purpose, and that is finding out what God's will is. And if, you know what? And if we come together, and there's a bunch of people in our church that says, we've prayed, we've sought God, we've sought his will, and what we're hearing is from him is, this isn't what God wants. We would have to listen. We would have to. Does that make sense? So the issue, pray for unity. But the unity we're praying for is a unity of spirit, a unity of seeking God and seeking what he wants. And if we all do that together, we have an assurance that he's going to direct us, right? You trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, and he will. What? And, and so we want to do that. Collectively, we want our paths to be straight and allow him to direct it. So, so the first thing is they come together with one accord, this singular purpose. But the second thing, it says they have this devotion to prayer, that they're, they're really praying. Now, there's a couple things because I, I'm kind of like this. I, I like looking at Greek and all that good kind of stuff. This is a weird sentence because it has a direct article. It says the prayer but we don't talk like that in English, right? Um, we would say the prayers, plural, but, but it doesn't say prayers. It says singular prayer with a direct article. So it would technically be literally the prayer. However, the, the idiom of, 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 of how this is in Greek would be re really it's prayer. Well, Ron, why are you even bringing this up? I, told, I, told, I geek out about this stuff. Okay, so, 
So part of it is, is part of it is, is that we understand that what they're fulfilling is, is they're doing what the, the they're doing, uh, kind of the what the the expectation of being devoted to prayer would be, which is they keep the times of prayer. So you, you remember Daniel, right? Daniel's out in Babylon, and he's been tricked because um, they're told, they make a new law, if you pray to any other god but this golden statue, um, we're going to kill you. And, and there's poor Daniel opening up the window, getting on his knees, and praying, and the Bible says, as he was accustomed to doing, because when did Daniel pray? Morning, noon, and night. Morning, noon, and night. He, had, he followed the pattern of prayers that, that since the destruction of the temple, um, people did, morning, noon, and night. And Daniel wasn't about to change his custom. He prayed morning, noon, and night. And so when it was time for prayer, he went and he prayed. And of course, he got caught and they killed him. Good catch. <laughs> he got caught and they tried to kill him and God saved him and uh, elevated him. The point is, the devotion then that the people did was they, they prayed and, the, and they followed the, those, those times of prayer, of, of morning and noon and technically late afternoon, right? And they came together and they prayed. Now, wh why do I bring that up? Well, some of it is, is, is practical. I want to talk to us, what does it mean to be devoted? Because here, let's be honest. Preacher starts talking about being devoted to prayer, and though what's said here in Acts is descriptive of what's going on, right? It's describing what's going on. How many of you feel an oughtness about that? Right? Right? We all feel the oughtness. I ought to devote myself to prayer. I ought to devote myself to prayer. And, and so what I want to do is I, I want us to talk a little bit about that tension between what we ought to do and, and really the purpose of being devoted to prayer. Um, as, as a child, not a child, well, in my preteens and those who are in, um, at, Calvin, or at uh, um, Providence Academy, you need to plug your ears. Um, so when I was a, when I was a, a young teenager, I, I was in some rebellion against the Lord. Um, of course, if you were to ask me, I wouldn't tell you it was rebellion. I, I would tell you it was I still believed in God. I just was curious or however you want to put it. But I wasn't really walking with the Lord. But my junior year in high school, um, I, I, I really was, God really took a hold of me. And, and I remembered um, wanting to devote myself more wholly to the Lord and to, please, to live to please him. And all I was told as a, in my church was is that you should get up in the morning, and the first thing you should do is what? Pray. I should read my Bible and pray. So here I am, 16 years old. I'd wake up in the morning. I'd begin to pray. And then sometime later, my mom would wake me up. <laughs> and I'd, I'd feel so guilty, right? Right? So then I would, I would go, okay, i got to try it again, and I'd, it, I would continually fall asleep. 
No matter how, tr- how hard I tried, I, I just couldn't do it. I, this devotional life that I was told I must have if I'm a real follower of Jesus was impossible for me. And the way I responded to that is I just tried harder. And the more, the more I, I tried, the more I failed God and the more I felt guilty and, and like I'm unworthy. Okay? Uh, I went and I talked to my youth pastor, a volunteer leader, and, and Mr. Munoz says to me, and this is the be- most beautiful thing, I-, I love this, and I'm repeating it to you, Arthur Munoz, my youth guy in, uh, uh, at uh, uh, the Alliance Church in, in American Canyon, California, he says to me, well, who said you had to do that? What, what happened, there's nowhere in Scripture that says this is what you have to do to be devoted to prayer, and that is when you wake up in the morning, the first thing you need to do is, is spend time praying and reading your Bible. That's, what I, that's the expectation that I had, and it had been placed on me, and I held to it, and I could never do it well. And I always, always feel guilt, guilty. And, and uh, Mr. Munoz says to me, well, who said you had to do that? Show me in Scripture where it says this is what you have to do. And I said, so what should I do? Well, those are words, right? Because I want to make that little check. I, I want to make sure that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And, and here's his response. Ready? He says, well, what would be a better time for you to pray? Well, well I don't know. Tell me. Don't, don't you ever feel like that? Like we would rather just have someone tell you, all right, here's what's expected of you. At 11 o'clock a.m., you need to stop and do uh, 15 minutes of prayer, and then at, right? And if we could do that, we can make our little checklist. We could feel a little bit better about ourselves. Perhaps now, if I get enough checks on there, I can, when I ask God for something, you know, I can go, hey, look. I, I... See, that, that's not how it works at all. That, that, that's not how it works at all. Mr. Munoz, in his wisdom, says to me, no, 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 no. What would be a good time for you to be with God to, to talk? It's a relationship, right? What, when's a, when would be a good time for you to just be with the Lord? Well, I had never thought of it in that way. I'd always thought of it as a checklist. What would be a good time for me to be with the Lord? And I said, you know, you know what would be helpful is maybe if I did it after I took my shower, because then I would be awake. And his answer, again, in his great wisdom was, all right, why don't you try that? And if that doesn't work, maybe we'll... I mean, I was blown away by this. Well, if that doesn't... So, so I, I, I began to experiment. Right here. So here we go. With all the authority vested in me as a ruling elder of Jacob's well, I would like to say, um, get rid of the checklist and, 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 and pray and, and experiment and know you're going to fail and that's not a big deal. Just pick it up and try again, right? I mean, I've been. How long have we been married? When? Twenty some years. <laughs> Mental note: that was a mistake. <laughs> but the, but the reality is here is, is I love I love my wife. She loves me, right? right she used to. And we, we've been together for a long time. And, and the, the, the truth of the matter is, is in order to continue a good relationship with each other, we often try and fail. 
and what we do is, is we, we, if something's not working, then what you do is you, just you talk about it and come up with something else that works, right? That, that's, called, that's called a relationship, right? It's not a, in other words, um, I don't have a list here for my wife that says you need to meet these standards for me to have a relationship with you, and here's the standard she has for me, and if we, if we meet these standards, okay, now we can reward ourselves with something, I'm, again, I'm not going to, whatever. It, it's the, the idea is, is that we're a, in a relationship and we're going to seek and work out and love one another in a way that these things can work out. How is that different from your relationship with God? So, here, I, I, again, with all the authority vested in me as a ruling elder, I don't even know what kind of authority I have as a ruling elder. But the, the point is, the point is, I, the permission here is this, is that God loves you right? He's done everything for you. You feel like you ought to pray that probably you should, but go ahead and do it. But don't, don't make it into a, a checklist and don't make it so that it's some sort of guilt-ridden thing. Work on it, but give yourself that grace. In, in other words, what I'm saying is, is that I'm not trying to put the standard here of this is what it means to be devoted to prayer. Now you guys get up there. That's not the idea. Here's, the, here's more of the idea. Somewhere down that road is devoted to prayer. Let's just start walking down that path. Does that, does that make sense? Being devo Devoting yourself to prayer. Now, here's the thing. I love the fact that the early church, um, in, including uh, Judaism, had these different times of prayer, right? Because for me, what's helpful, not as a checklist, but helpful is from time to time, I will keep the hours of prayer. And, and what, I, what I do is I just get a, a book, either the Book of Common Prayer, um, or the Lutherans have this, uh, this thing on, that has like these daily offices of prayer. And I, and I use that to help me as a device to, to pray. And it's very helpful to me. I don't do it all the time. And sometimes I miss. And if I miss, I just... just just keep going. So, so let, let, me, let, me, let me bring this up again. Find times to pray. Give yourself grace. Pray more continuously. That's another way to do it. And that means whenever something comes to mind. Right? That's another learned thing. You know, sometimes you're driving Something pops into your mind about something going on later this afternoon. And rather than saying, oh, i got to remember to pray about that, just quickly pray it. Right? Pray it mentally. Pray it out loud. Sometimes it's fun when you're in a car and you're praying out loud and people pull by you and they look and they can tell you're not singing. And you look really weird. But, but do it. Let me add this one other thing, a very practical thing that might help too is you know how when you're with other Christians and someone says something and you want to say, I'll pray for that? Don't do that anymore. Just stop and pray for them. Just stop and pray for them. Now, there are some times when that's impossible. Please remember to pray for them. But it's really nice when it, there, there's someone tells you something, or when I tell someone someone, and, and, and rather than just saying, hey, I'll pray for you, they just stop right there and they pray for me. Like that, that's, that's another thing. It just helps us to become more and more devoted to pray. We're not, we don't say we're going to pray. We just do it. We just, we just do it.
Some of you might be wondering what true prayer is. When you are a new believer, if you haven't been around church in a lot of prayer, praying is hard. Westminster's Smaller Catechism says prayer is this. Prayer is simply offering up our desires to God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confessing our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. Offering up our desires to God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Jesus. Confessing our sins and being thankful. Two of those are really easy. Lord, I blew it. Forgive me. And God, thanks. Thank you. Those are easy. Offering up things that are agreeable to his will, that's a difficult thing, isn't it? So here's again my permission for you. The Holy Spirit, which now resides in us, communicates with God. When you pray for something, the Holy Spirit makes it agreeable to him. Which means you might be praying for one thing, but the Holy Spirit is communicating to the Lord another thing. So don't be afraid to pray. Don't be afraid to pray. Now, Being devoted to prayer isn't the only thing that happens. We also see that they are very devoted to Scripture. And if you look at, if you look at uh, Peter's, uh, Peter's speech, as he shares about what must happen, that something needs to re- someone needs to replace Judas in that office, it is very abundant, uh, or abundantly clear, that the reason they came to this conclusion is because of their study of Scripture, right? But not only the study of Scripture um, for the sake of studying Scripture, but study of Scripture the way Jesus taught them. Do you remember the road to Emmaus? And there's the two guys that are sad, and Jesus, who has risen from the dead, kind of walks to them, and they don't recognize Jesus. And it talks about how Jesus begins to explain the Scriptures to them and how it all points to him. And then their eyes are open when he breaks the bread, and they realize it was Jesus with them all along. Right? Th- this, is, this is part of the hermeneutic that we understand that Jesus has given us as the church, and I just used the word hermeneutic, I'm sorry. Let me go back. The way, the lens in which we look at Scripture, since Jesus has come, is that we understand that the whole thing, it points to him. If it's not about him, it's at least a type of him. It's all pointing to him and his promise in the gospel. It's all about, Jesus is the main character in everything. And Jesus teaches this to his apostles, and the apostles then use it. So when David talks about his, his betrayer, right, and that someone should replace his office, the disciples who have been reading the Psalms realize this is pointing to Jesus and his betrayer. When David speaks of his enemies and wishes that nothing could be fruitful on their land, they realize this is pointing to Jesus and his betrayer and his enemy and that his land ought not be fruitful. They see Jesus in these things and they've devoted themselves to the to reading of the, the scripture. So, 
why is this important? If in our prayers, what we ought to be doing is lifting up our desires which are acceptable to him, how do we know what will be acceptable to him? Unless we're reading the scriptures. Unless we're reading the scriptures. The more we read scriptures, the more we understand this is all pointing to Jesus and about Jesus. If we're reading Genesis or Revelation, if we're reading uh, Ecclesiastes or we're reading the Song of Solomon or we're reading the Psalms or we're reading 2 Timothy, whatever we're reading, it points us to Jesus and, and talks to us about his care and his will. And if we're concerned with really being devoted to prayer and wanting to lift up our desires, which are acceptable to him, we learn more about what, his, what things are acceptable to him. We get to know more about Jesus and his desires. You might remember in Proverbs, it talks about if we, if we, um, uh, we, we, we let known our desires, to, uh, we pray to the Lord and he'll give us the desires of our heart, right? I, I love how some people take that out of context and think we should pray for anything we want because God's going to give us the desires of the heart. What we do is we read it in the full context of God's testimony in Scripture. And what we understand is the more we get to know God and the more, as Chad said, the Holy Spirit is what's working in our life, our desires become more and more aligned with, with God's. Right? With God's. Now, now think of this. As we grow in Christ, as his spirit continues to work in us, as, as we have expressed our desires to the Lord, and they're more like his desires, we, we continue to get what we pray for. But it's not what we want. It's really what God wants. And, 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 it's, and it's beautiful that way. The, the hardest part as a newer believer is when you're praying for all these things and, you, and they're, they're very selfish, right? And, and you can sometimes get frustrated because my prayers aren't being answered. But, but as you grow in Christ and know Christ and you, 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 get to, you get to anticipate more and more his desires, we, we pray and we see an, prayer being answered more and more. Well, prayer's always answered in Christ. But we see it more and more as what we had been hoping for. What we'd been hoping for. So just as the early church was devoted to Scripture to know God's will and to devote to prayer, I like that the early church was also, in this time of waiting, was devoted to each other. You'll notice that when, the apostle, when Peter stands up and talks about what has to happen, Peter doesn't then say, and I have chosen out of all of you Matthias, not what happened, is it? Who decides, who brings forth the two? It wasn't Peter. It was from among the 120. They bring up, they bring up Justice and Matthias. They bring them up. Here are two qualified men. Then there's something weird that goes on. They, cast, they pray and they cast lots, and the lots fall to Matthias, and Matthias becomes the 12th. Now, we, we don't cast lots, and it's not just a Presbyterian thing either. We, although that might be helpful in our Presbyterian meetings, right? The, 
you have to recall that the Holy Spirit has not been given at Pentecost yet. That's next week, right? Up until then, they used the, 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 the means that were available and, and given, and that was the casting of lots. The casting of lots you see all over in the, New, the uh, Old Testament. You, you can recall uh, Jonah on the ship, and, and they, they knew that someone, a god was mad at someone, and they decided to find out who they cast lots, and it fell on Jonah, because Jonah was the one that God was mad at. It, it worked. The Proverbs, again, talks about how uh, the, the lots are cast in your lap, but it is the Lord who chooses. L the lots were used for many things, but it wasn't seen as chance. It, it was done with prayer, understanding that the Lord is guiding what the, the lots do. And so, in, in this sense, Matthias was chosen by God. Not by lots, but by God. Well, what do we do now? Now that the Holy Spirit is given, we, we don't use lots. N nowhere else do you see lots being used in the New Testament. You look at early church history, you don't see lots being used ever. Well, what's different now that we have the Holy Spirit? What the Lord wants us to do is to pray, right? To be in one accord seeking the Spirit's will. And if we do that, we can be certain that God is making those choices. God is, we're fulfilling God's will because the Holy Spirit is within us. Now, here's the, here's the issue. Sometimes, um, in my more cynical times, I like to question God. I, I'm sure you don't ever, but I sometimes do. And I would think that casting lots would be so much easier. Imagine if we had Woodfield Court here and we had uh, Heartland here. We simply pray, we cast lots, and wherever the lots fall, we all go, yes. Right? Wouldn't that be easy? Wouldn't that be great? God doesn't work that way anymore. He works through our, us, through people. Right? So now I'm going to geek out really quick. Really quick, as I'm looking at the, the 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 word for for assembly or group coming together in the Old Testament uh, is synagogue. So whenever the Jews came together, it was a, it was assembly. It was synagogue. Um, Two hundred years before Jesus was uh, was on Earth, um, seventy elders uh, of Israel translated the Old Testament from Hebrew to Greek. And, and every time the Jews gathered together for a particular purpose of covenant making and, and covenant renewal, um, they didn't use the word synagogue. They, they used the word ecclesia, which is what our English, our Eng, in English that means church, right? Now, ecclesia was a Greek word that simply means the, the, the called out ones of an assembly, or of, I mean of a, of a community, in order to, to be responsible, like to vote, to, to do things. Jesus Christ himself used that word to talk about us. He never called us a synagogue. He called us a church, an ecclesia, where we as people come and we do business. We participate together. We, we, do, we vote. It's, it's an amazing thing. Now, as his kingdom and as his royal priesthood, that's you, 
all, we have a solemn obligation to seek God's will. And when we come together as the church, the called out ones, the ecclesia of the Lord, we have a solemn obligation to be devoted to prayer and to the scriptures, to seek what it is that God's will really is, so that when we do cast our vote, we have done the hard work of seeking to discern his will. And, and that when we do this work of the Lord, which, by the way, the Greek word is liturgy, when we do the liturgy of the Lord in this work of the church, we're assured with the same certainty of the lot that this is what the Lord has chosen. This is what the Lord has chosen. Bonus, decision-making in the will of God. We have a tendency, I think, in our modern day to do some similar things to lot casting. Christian lot casting, you know, like flipping open the Bible and finding the first thing and reading, is this the Lord's will? And if it's not, you try it again. We, um, tr looking around and trying to find magic words, right? If I use this phrase in my prayer, I bind this or I hedge this or I claim this or whatever. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of the Father and intercedes for us. The Holy Spirit of God dwells in us and he directs our prayers to him. When we have decisions that we need to make, difficult decisions in our personal lives, it is good to search scriptures, to get counsel from one another, to get people to pray for you, and simply to trust in the Spirit's leading. Boy, that was simple, wasn't it? We can't look to magic, lot casting, magic incantations. It's the hard work of simply being devoted to prayer, to the scriptures, to trusting the spirits work together. So even as the church has some difficult decisions to make in its future, and you probably in your own personal life has it, th this is the way to go to reason, to think, to pray, to ask others, and finally to trust. And the Lord will do it. Let's pray. Father, we uh, again give you thanks. We thank you for establishing your church. We thank you, Lord, that you listen, that your spirit's there to communicate to you what we feel and our desires, Lord. And we, even when our desires are so skewed, they might even be sinful, Lord. We trust your spirit will make them right. I pray, God, that you would help us more and more to know your will, more and more to trust you, and more and more, Lord, to really rejoice in being part of your family and your kingdom. I pray, God, for Jacob's well and its future the difficult decisions happening in the, in the future. We know and trust, Lord, in your guidance and direction. And Lord, we thank you that one day, one day, your whole church will be united before you. And one day, 
we will, in communion with you, eat and drink together in your kingdom. We long for that and give you thanks. I pray, Lord, as we come to the table, we'd be mindful of that. And here on earth, Lord, may we rejoice with you in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.